Hello, everyone. How you doing? We're back here with another session on putting out the fires in online teaching and learning. Really, really honored to have uh, this guest here in this conversation. I think is going to speak. I don't. I keep saying I think. I I know. I don't think I know with this session because we're all feeling uh, the pressures of the change that the pandemic has brought. And and we know that even when things do move, I'm going to call it post-pandemic. We're still going to be faced with other scenarios that are, that are going to bring out, you know, a, a sense of, of stress and work overload and all these things. That's just part of life. We're just feeling it stronger than ever before. And so this conversation is really on the, the, the social emotional learning. And I think for this one, it's, it's important that we're looking at it through the lens of not just students, which we do spend a lot of time on it, but these ideas and the messages that, that our guest is going to bring with us today also helps us as educators, as the parents, um, as adults, like these are universal things. So I know we all know this, but sometimes we gotta be reminded that this learning is just as important for us as it is for our students. But I'm already getting ahead of myself. Mark, let's start off with having everybody just know who you are. I'm sure for many people, um, you know, they may or may not know about you, but they really need to because you're doing some fabulous work. Um, so if you could introduce who you are, what you do, all that good stuff, and then we can dive into, um, you know, the, the core work of what you're doing. Okay, sounds like a plan. So good day, everyone. My name's Mark Sparble. Um, I'm an educator of 25 to 30 years, both as a classroom teacher, deputy principal, regional leader, and a sloppy um, academic working in post-compulsory years. Um, I currently work for Microsoft in education marketing. And I, I guess, you know, my, my sort of area of interest is where best practice meets next practice. Um, I'm interested and intrigued by how technology, when it's levered thoughtfully, can help to humanize learning and not just simply digitize curriculum content. So I work in education marketing and I lead lots of research projects uh, like the class of 2030 and emotion cognition in the age of AI. And these are research projects Microsoft undertakes with partners like McKinsey and Company and the Economist Intelligence Unit. And whether a school or a system is using Microsoft products or not, we make those research pieces available back. It's our contribution back to the profession to help generate conversations really around what matters most and how do we best support educators, school leaders and systems to empower every learner on the planet to achieve more. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, I'm such a, a fan and a follower of your work. Uh, I follow your journey through uh, the social media channels. And, you know, I've been, been fortunate enough to have some conversations with you in person here and there, even though that's been a while. And, and hopefully we'll be able to do that again sometime. Yeah. Um, but as, as, as here we are in this world, and we don't need to go through all the details of what people are facing. I think everyone kind of knows it. I mean, one of the positives is we all kind of have this, this, this grounding of what everyone feels. We all get it. Um, you're doing a lot with social emotional learning and I know it's even, it even moves beyond that. And 
you're, you're speaking with countries, you're speaking with districts, you're, you're doing the, the research. I, I want to start out generally here and then we can dive into more specifics. Like, you know, what are some of the, the main things that you're seeing or some of the main research or ideas that, that are coming across, uh, you know, your desk and things that you're doing in this field, just to kind of set the context for people of, of what's being done you have a, a global perspective that not all of us uh, uh, have, you know, we kind of have our local lens. And so I'm just kind of curious of, you know, kind of painting the canvas of, of what's out there. Um, I think we know kind of the pressures, but there's also some solutions and, and, and good things out there that, that, mm. that can be helpful. So let's start yep. with that and then, then dive in deeper. Yeah, no, Aaron, that's a, I mean, you, you touched on a really important thing there about that uh, solutions are also out there. Um, you know, the COVID-19 isn't the only thing that's, you know, spreads globally. Anytime that we're networked and connected, things spread. Um, certainly are challenges that we're facing, that, that you're facing, people that are watching this on demand or in a session, the challenges that you're facing are shared challenges across the globe. Uh, and the interesting bit and the comforting bit is the solutions to those challenges um, are also shared solutions because we are connected. And... You know, if we sort of ground this at that global level, you know, since March, 1.6 billion students globally have had their formal learning interrupted in one way or the another. And, you know, make no mistake, it's, a, it, it's not just a public health crisis, it's an economic crisis, it's a humanitarian crisis, and education is placed smack bang in the middle of it. And the, the pressures on educators um, and school leaders are, uh, are intense. I mean, it gives it gives you goosebumps. Um, recently, uh, Castle, the Collaborative for Social and Emotional Learning, and Yale Centre for Emotional Intelligence, in March asked five thousand educators, "How are you feeling?" And not surprisingly, um, anxious, uncertain, and stressed were the key words. Then MIT did some research they published in April, which I thought was interesting. Which was, "Well, why do you feel this way?" So we know you feel this way. But why do you feel this way? What are the things that are really, really kind of like getting you worked up? And they boiled down to three things. One was teachers were feeling really, really stressed out about student motivation, about how do I engage learners between the glass? How do I maintain social connectedness and relationships? Um, how do I support my students to become self-reflective and more autonomous when if they're learning when we're apart from one another. Um, so student motivation was number one. Number two was this sense of professional loss and burnout. So educators themselves, when we're together, you know, we know this as educators that schools aren't institutions where we deliver stuff. Schools are communities of professional practice and are places of learning for adults and children. And we know in schools that the social collisions between adults have a protective factor. You've had a bad day teaching, you're gonna talk about it in the staff room. You're gonna have a chat with somebody in the car park. You're going to meet one another in your non-contact time and plan together. And you're also gonna to complain together and you're gonna to learn together. And that's being human in the workplace. So professional loss is significant for teachers right now, as is burnout. So people in their vacation time are doing double time prepping for the new school year. They're doing double time to plan for face-to-face but also online and somewhere in between. So that burnout and professional loss was number two. And number three, and you know, 
teaching is a it's a profession that has a moral imperative and it has an emotional toil and as a result of that educators are feeling stressed by the inequities that they're seeing happening across their classrooms their schools and their districts so those existing inequities that have now been illuminated and highlighted is causing them great anxiety. How do I meet the needs of diverse learners? How do I meet the needs best for those who don't have access to a quiet place to study or access to a device or maybe not even access to supportive family structures which are going to allow them to be able to access a valued curriculum. So that's what I'm kind of seeing at that, that, that meta level. In terms of the, and we can go into this after, otherwise I'll talk forever. In terms of where things good are happening, they are across the globe and in the United States. So I've just started my own podcast series called Super Speaks, where I'm listening to superintendents across the US and asking them the hard questions about how things are going. What are the challenges? What are the successes? And the successes are there. You know, I've heard of districts uh, up in Canada, um, been measuring happiness and well-being across an entire district using data and analytics to help redirect and connect resources. I spoke to the superintendent of, I think it was Deval um, the other day to find out how they were deploying devices and supporting students at risk. So across the, the states, there are really promising examples um, of districts and regions and individual schools largely that were doing something before COVID and then during COVID they were able to scale up their efforts and we can learn from them and they'll help provide us a blueprint for the way forwards as we plan for a future that isn't a new normal but a future that we can be sure is going to be complex, ambiguous and changeable. So that's probably what we know. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, and as you shared there, I was I was scribbling down some some notes here that as you were sharing, and I wanna I, I want to look at uh, when you're talking about the MIT research on that that idea of like just our moral imperative as educators. I, I always say like it's like 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 the teacher DNA. Even when there aren't solutions, we still feel compelled to take on all the burden to make sure that our kids are taken care of and learning. And and when we can't always provide that, when we feel inadequate, even though. Educators are not inadequate, but they feel that right now. This is new territory for a lot of them. Um, what do you see? Like, what, what what are some ideas? Because I think one of my biggest fears is the educators I'm working with is they're at this burnout level that I, it's it's just not sustainable over the course of a whole year, and that's one of my big fears. You know, and and many of these other conversations. My wife's eighth grade algebra teacher. I worry about at what point she just can't sustain she she puts a lot of pressure on herself it's it's some of it's self-inflicted some of it's system um inflicted we all those things but you know she's not alone in those thoughts trying to do all the things all the time and it's it's not good you know and i get i appreciate it i applaud it but it's also not a healthy method so if we were to look at that one i think that's a key for a lot of educators this, this moral imperative to be all the things to all the kids yeah what are some ideas or strategies or maybe some things for them to explore i, I want to dive there and then you had some other great things i want to tap into but i think that yeah, to me yeah. is real key for a lot of educators um yeah. right now and it, it's a connected thing right so as i said and not glibly earlier you know the coronavirus isn't the only thing that's you know uh 
is easily transferred. Um, you know, solutions are as well. You know, emotions are. So your kids will catch emotions from the educator. So educator well-being is really critical right now. Um, and it's true what you're saying that you know, as you know, even the most the most amazing educators capable of doing this much. The job at the moment is this much. So everybody's going to be feeling like there's a deficit. I'm not doing enough. This isn't close enough, near enough. Um, and I guess one bit of advice that I would give to, uh, you know, to all educators would be, you know, think about what you've done today across this last week and let this be enough. Um, to be able to, in a sense, adopt a bit of a beginner's mindset and a beginner's mindset recognises this is not anything like what we have done. This is something we are beginning. We're beginning it together. Um, so a beginner's mindset allows you, as a beginner, you know, when I was learning to stand up paddleboard, you know, I was clumsy, awkward. I felt embarrassed, stupid, frustrated, angry with myself, upset. What a waste of time and energy. You know, I felt all of these things out there on Lake Washington. That's a beginner's mindset. Embrace that. That's what it feels like to be learning something new. For educators at the moment, changing their gears to this education reimagined, a beginner's mindset will help you because those emotions matter and they're all valid. They don't need to be suppressed. But as we move the conversation into sort of the place and space of social and emotional learning, it comes from the educator and the leader moving to a point where they recognize that at this moment in time, more so than any other place in time, emotions, all of them matter and are valid. The question is, are they serving a purpose that is useful for me at the moment? Um, if, do I want to stay in that emotional state? Like, do, if, if so, great. But if I want to shift to another emotional state, let's say at the moment I'm feeling largely frustrated and anxious most of the time, and I would sooner, I don't want to be feeling joyful and delirious. That's high energy, pleasant emotion. That's probably not realistic. But maybe I'd like to angle for feeling a little bit comfortable and content. That would be good. How do I get from there to there? Right. So what we need to be doing is making those strategies intentional and not accidental. And it's a challenge for our leaders. You know, their number one priority should be our educator well-being. Our educators' number one priority should be our learner well-being. And developing social and emotional skills, boosting the emotional intelligence at the moment is fundamental. In the past, it could have been largely relegated as being it's ornamental. This is all about feeling nice. No, emotions are the gatekeeper to cognition, to motivation and attention. And when I hear teachers say, we're stressed because students aren't motivated, think about it. If emotions are the gatekeeper of motivation, maybe the emotions aren't being invited in right now in an understandable rush to get up communications, to deliver curriculum, to get platforms up and running and assignment submissions happening, all important stuff. 
emotions of the gatekeeper to cognition, motivation and attention. The research published by the Aspen Institute in the States, the National Commission into the study of social and emotional learning and academic outcomes made it very clear that the two are interrelated and cannot exist without one another. And we know from research across the globe over the last 25 years that um, a focus on emotional intelligence, which you build through social and emotional learning, provides a number of benefits outside of academic, um, improves your decision making, the quality of your relationships, your physical health, your mental health, your performance and your creativity. And not just now, in a longitudinal study undertaken in the UK, they followed a group of kindergartners from the 1970s for 40 years to find out what impact social and emotional learning had on somebody's life. And they discovered through this study that the impact spread out for a lifetime, less likely to be involved in trouble with the law, more likely to feel positive and have subjective well-being more likely to engage in volunteer and civic activities, less likely to have mental health issues, addiction issues. The benefits were outstanding. So yeah, to go back to your, your original comment, for educators at the moment, mindset, whole school approaches to recognise that this is a significant topic that needs to be addressed and specific strategies for educators to, um, to practise and rehearse themselves about developing social and emotional skills that they can pass on to their students. As small as doing emotional check-ins regularly, um, introducing this concept that the Yale Centre for Emotional Intelligence refers to as ruler, recognise, understand, label, express and regulate, using tools like the mood meter, developing um, a charter for how do we want to feel at our school, how do we want to feel with our staff or how do we want to feel in our classroom, which is the flip side of what are the rules that we need to follow. Both have got a place, but at the moment, yeah, we, Mark Brackett would say, we need more feelings and less rules. Yeah, and I love that. I mean, it's a great segue to where my brain was heading to next, and, and, and you've already started to touch on that a little bit, as you were talking about how important the emotional intelligence is. And I think about one of the other big um, I'm going to call it a barrier that a lot of educators are facing right now is whether we call it student motivation. They're not coming to the calls, doing the work, whether we call mm -hmm. it student engagement or how do we increase interaction. You kind of hear these kind of phrases of help me with this. And there's been a lot of energy um, focused on teaching strategies or how to mm -hmm. create lessons, or maybe it's using this tool or bringing this technique in. And there's not as much built on that emotional side. I think, you know, it, it almost comes across and I don't think it's anyone's intention. Like if you just change your teaching practice, motivation will increase. And we're not having that conversation on the, the emotional, you know, circle where they, they intertwine and connect like you were talking about. So as educators are trying to figure out how to go from that beginner mindset of all those feelings, and we've all been there, some of them are in that, right? They feel that way right now with teaching, but we've, we feel that with our hobbies, you know, and mm -hmm. all those things. And we know our students feel that exact same way. This is new for them. How do we, what, what's that look like? Because I think one of the other fears that, that a lot of educators face is they want to put some of these practices in. They want to help, you know, the kids work through their emotions. 
but some of the things out there feel cheesy. The kids, you know, yeah. it kind of feels like, oh, this is a cute little lesson. Uh, and the student feels like, oh, my teacher's just doing this thing because they have to do it. And therefore, mm -hmm. it just feels like fake, fake movement that people are checking off boxes, even if that's not the intent. Mm -hmm. How do teachers, you talked a little bit about that, some like, like the ruler, you talked about, you know, some of those little pulse checks. How do teachers weave that into the landscape sure. yeah. um, with their practices? Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's the, that's doable. It's also the interesting yeah. kind of like tension and challenge because there are complex answers and there are, there are simple answers. What I like to do is to focus on, well, what can I do Monday, not someday? If I was back being principal of a school and I was talking to my staff and I said, hey, you know, we've got to start paying careful attention to um, the social and emotional dimension because learning is a social and emotional process. You know, learning is socially embedded. It's something we do best together. And it's through collaboration that, that we shift information from our short-term brain and we engage in that knowledge transfer into our long-term memory. It's where deep learning happens, right? So if you want deep learning, we've got to turn up the dials of emotional skills. That's the ability to recognize and regulate my own emotions. And then the, the social skills. How do I do that in a social setting, make responsible decisions, build and maintain relationships, um, and at times even co-regulate emotions with one another? And the way to achieve that, if I was giving my, what do I do Monday, not Sunday? Yeah. Here's what I did. We partnered with Goldie Horn's Mind Up Foundation and Goldie and I did a webinar um, and I'll sh share the link with you to share out to people. What we intentionally did was we went out across the globe and we found 10 amazing educators who weren't all about technology and they weren't all about mindfulness, but they were all about getting the best out of their learners. And they shared their number one, what can I do Monday, not Sunday tip uh, to help invite in the emotional context in order to achieve not just people feeling good, but people doing good um, and doing better and feeling more connected and calmer and more focused. And those strategies ranged from, you know, the emotional check-in is good, but the emotional check-in that a clever teacher has planned over time to keep on introducing greater complexity of emotional language, that's different. Asking you, how do you feel? Huh, okay, sad, bad, angry, mad. Give you a framework engage you in some learning activities, which have you maybe, let's say, get an emoji and match it to the word frustrated and discuss and debate. How is frustrated similar or different to angry? How is jealousy and envy? How, how, what's the difference between there? Suddenly you're getting into what people would call emotional granularity. That's the ability to accurately label emotions, to accurately be able to predict their impact on self and others. So, you know, little things that people can do are those emotional check-ins, are journaling, having students engaging in reflective private journaling um, at the end of each day. But again, the clever teacher introduces a structure and a framework to that and engages in that guided release over time where the students are actually given a framework to reflect about the emotional context of the day, the social context of the day, what were the external triggers, what were the internal triggers. Um, so those are a, a couple of quick ones. Another strategy that uh, a teacher could do, uh, let's say I'm a kindergarten teacher, the strategy could be, um, what is it, two leaves and a bud. At the end of the day, 
uh, on the screen day or in a face-to-face -face day, the teacher, the kindergarten teacher sits there and all of the kids identify, you know, the two leaves, the two things that they, they were grateful for across the day and the one bud, the thing they're looking forward for till tomorrow. So do you see what's happened here? We would call this positive reframing. We would call this self-reflection. We would call this acts of gratitude. These are all things that neuroscience shows us rewires the brain. It sets in motion an app in the back of your head that starts scanning the files, looking for things that I'm grateful for today. And over time, it starts to run automatically, constantly scanning for the good doesn't discount or ignore the bad, but it doesn't seek to redirect our most limited natural resource, our attention. It doesn't redirect it always just to the bad. It gives us hope for the future. It positively reframes our mind. And in doing that, we're practicing this process of being grateful and expressing gratitude and also being optimistic about what is to come. So, there are a couple of strategies from teachers, but we've got strategies all the way up to higher education from, or should I say all the way up from kindergarten, which is at the highest point of complexity, through to higher education, what you can do Monday, not someday, to make this emotional stuff invitational, not just instructional. And so by instructional, I mean, hey, Here's a worksheet, colour in everything that shows kindness. That's sitting outside of the process of learning, which as we know is socially embedded. Inviting it in brings it into the learning process. And I can tell you in a few moments time uh, about a couple of feature updates that we've hardwired into some of our tools to help support teachers to make this more invitational. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely merge that in there. And I, and, and before you get to that, because I think you're hitting on some key things that even I'm thinking about myself, and I know educators listening or watching are going to go, okay, this is, this is bringing it into a different light that maybe we haven't thought about before. One of the things we were talking about prior to hitting record, we were talking about the importance of like collective efficacy for yeah. teachers and the students. And I think it, this, this, this merges really well with what you were just sharing. Because I think now more than ever, a lot of us as educators and students, we are in isolation. You know, here I am, I was, yeah. I'm, I'm in my basement by myself doing work today. Um, you know, students are in a room by themselves learning all day. Teachers mm. are teaching if they're remotely or, you know, your class isn't maybe as full as it used to be. And while that has some perks, it's just, you know, it's not the same. And if your school isn't open, we missed those opportunities that you talked about earlier. My five minutes in the hallway talking with my friend, uh, the, the chit chat over, over lunch, uh, our planning meetings. We have this feeling of isolation. And so mm -hmm. while you're going through your ideas, that I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that collective efficacy because that's just as important. And as, as we're trying to rewire the brains you talked about, we also know one of the most important things too is, is I'm gonna call it group thing. That might be the, word, the right term for it, but having people in the journey along with you. So you don't feel like you're doing this alone. So could yeah. you talk about that? I know it's, it's, it's the same, not always the same with, with that research. And then yeah, definitely I want to get into some of the updates as, as well that, that you've got. With sure, your... sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good one because humans are social. We always have been, you know, that's, uh, that's the way that, that as a species, we've moved to the, the, the place and space we are because we can collectively regulate. Uh, we can collectively work together to solve 
problems and challenges. Uh, it's where it has a predictive and a developmental uh, kind of impact on us. Um, and just to, before I talk about the efficacy, I was talking, uh, being interviewed yesterday, and I was talking about the impact of this isolation on young people. And I said, look, the big challenge isn't maths and science and spelling and reading. That's certainly complex. I'm not diminishing it. What's important for kids at school is, you know, that, um, that Aaron smiles at me in the morning when we're going up to the gate and I know today's going to be a good day because Aaron's there and he's my buddy. Or, you know, I drop something and Melissa picks it up or, you know, the cool kid, even though it shouldn't mean something to me, but the cool kid actually, you know, kind of gives me a, a high five in the corridor or I make a new friend walking home or a thousand social collisions happen each and every day. And this is the fabric of the lives of students. It's what builds their sense of self, identity, character. They have a chance to explore identity waters, sometimes making mistakes and humiliating themselves along the way, but at other times practicing and rehearsing what it feels like and looks like to be in a social context. And that's one of the things at greatest risk in situations where we're behind the glass, which is why leveraging technology when you're limited to that as an engagement to make sure we bring in those opportunities for small group work, one-to-one -one work, um, informal moments where the teacher is just sitting there eating their lunch and all of the kids are on the screen eating their lunch, I inviting in the fun and the joy. You know, I saw an example the other day where all of the kids had put together all of the materials they needed to make a fort at home, blankets and pegs and torches and everything. And then they all recorded them on Flipgrid and they had a big, they called it a fortnight, but it was literally <laughs> building forts. And onto the efficacy, this is a really important area because lots of things improve learning and, you know, research, there's enough of that that's been done for decades and decades and decades that meta-analysis, so analysis of the analysis, have been undertaken and John Hattie's is a, is a really famous one. So all of these things, whatever they are, 50 of them, improve learning. Some of them improve learning a lot, lot more. They have a greater effect size. Number one at the top of the list is collective teacher efficacy. So when a group of teachers believe that they have the skills and that they're supported to make a difference, they do. It's as simple as that. And the effect size is way above anything else. It's way above additional homework or reduced class sizes or personalized learning approach, whatever. The highest effect size is when a group of teachers feel that they can make a difference together. And that's the key bit, together. This is why professional learning communities matter. This is why learning together matters so much for educators. We did our own research in 2011, a bit old now, the Innovative Teaching and Learning Resource uh, Research, sorry, undertaken by SRI International. And we asked across the globe this question around what professional learning makes the biggest difference? Well, it was the same finding. When a group of teachers try something new together and then spend time talking about the impact on learners was, whoa, right up there, right down the bottom, was listening to a lecture. Listening to a lecture still has an impact, but the huge impact was what we do together. And interestingly, number five on John Hattie's meta-analysis for making the biggest difference to learning, the biggest impact, is when students themselves develop the sense of efficacy 
that they start to believe that they have the skills, that they have the mindset, that they have the support to do well. When they believe they can, and when they can accurately predict how they're going, they do better. So that student who goes, hey, this piece of work I'm submitting, it's maybe not my best, I think it's probably a 78% um, blur, they're actually gonna do better than that by the sheer fact that they're self-aware, which comes back to one of the key social and emotional learning sort of organizers, self-awareness, self-regulation, responsible decision-making, social awareness, you know, it ties back to that space. Um, and this is why student self-assessment is so important right now in online, in hybrid models. This is why students themselves should be doing the teaching right now in this online, offline mode, getting groups of students to plan and deliver that lesson. It doesn't even matter what the lesson is. The learning is gonna be kicked out of the park, especially the self-assessment tied to how well the group functioned, um, how effective they were, the measures of success that they generated and so on. So th there are some kind of ideas around efficacy. Yeah, no, it's so good, Mark. And I, this is just, it's, it's such great stuff. It's such important work. Um, and, and you've really shed some light, I think, even for me, I'm, I mean, for those watching the video, I mean, I'm scribbling notes like wildfire of things I need to go reflect on my own practices and ideas as well as diving into some research. And so um, as, as we wrap this up to be respectful of, of your time, because I know you're incredibly busy and we want to make sure that the educators get some time to move into action um, because you're giving them lots of really helpful things. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, as we wrap up, you know, some of the updates to the tools, um, you know, if, 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 if educators are looking to get started into some of this, where do they go? I mean, obviously we'll link it all into the PD and all that stuff too, anything that you mentioned, but they're just going, okay, you've got me sold. I'm, I'm ready. This is making sense. I haven't been doing this. I need to, or I need to strengthen this, but I, I don't know where my first step is or where to get started. Where do they go to start to generate some of these ideas and strategies, yeah. resources, whatnot? Yep. Okay. So again, there's probably what can I do Monday and there's what can I do someday. So right. allow for people's time and pressure for the Monday. And I'll, I'll share the link with you. I'm constantly updating a deck. You know, when you take from one person, it's stealing. When you take from lots, it's research. <laughs> so I'm taking from the best practice I see from teachers, really practical, tried and tested practice to help develop emotional vocabulary, to help close feedback loops. Uh, and to help invite emotion into the learning. And it's in a deck of there's 15 strategies to try Monday, um, all teacher tested. So I'll make sure you've got the link to that. Sure. All of them are free. Um, I mean, they range from the use of, you know, OneNote through to Flipgrid, um, whole, or just even simply using Word. And if people don't have, you know, Office, Microsoft staff, you know, Microsoft 365, including Teams, is completely free for students and educators and always will be. So there's no sort of barrier of entry there. In terms of maybe longer term things to think about, we've released some product updates. We know from research undertaken by the World Economic Forum, New Vision for Learning, Technology and Social and Emotional Skills, and I can send the link to the paper. One of the key findings there was that where social and emotional learning features are built right in to the tools that the students are already using, then they have greatest impact as opposed to separate. Mm. So 
We've put together, it's taken about 18 months, but we've built some features in Teams called Praise um, Social and Emotional Learning um, Badges. And these are tied to five character traits and some specific social and emotional skills that underpin them. It's a globally recognized and psychologically sort of evaluated framework. Um, and this means that student to student can provide a specific praise for around uh, social and emotional skill um, or a teacher to student or teacher to teacher. And of course the data then is sitting beneath with all that other data that you might have at a school level around assignments or who's online, who's offline, who's, who's contributed, who's done this and that. That's all important. Now we're starting to get information about social and emotional skills being recognized and validated. We took those same badges and we turned them into digital stickers in OneNote. Um, and again, the notion here isn't, yes, they're cute and they're colorful and they look great. They also introduce the language of social and emotional skills in a very intentional, not accidental way. So the teacher, you know, Mr. Aaron, you know, he can give Mr. Mark a very specific persistence sticker and digital ink the reason why, as opposed to just a good job or nice. Now we can start to name them. And we know you've got to recognize, understand, label, express, if you want to regulate. And then the third feature, and these were released in a blog just last week, um, is called Reflect. And it sits within Microsoft Teams. And it's kind of like a poll. And you can ask your class, if you like, how are you feeling just before we start this topic on, you know, AP chemistry? Or you can ask the question, how did you feel about, you know, the first week of hybrid learning? Or you can simply set it to automatically ask every Monday morning, how are you feeling about the week ahead? And this will answer that big question. How is the student feeling? Collectively, how is my class feeling? How is my school feeling? If I'm the principal, I can get a litmus paper test of every person connected to that. How is my district feeling? So you start to, again, get these insights around the emotion, and then you can take action around that. Or you can look for the hot spots of success and go, wow, it seems to be there's something really great happening in this part, in this collection or cluster of schools. What's happening there? What are they doing around well-being that seems to be shifting the needle? Can we all learn from that? So there are some examples of what can you do Monday? Use some of the ideas from that deck that I'll share, the Cell Top 10. Um, I run a Facebook group called Cell in Edu, not surprisingly. <laughs> Send the link. The Cell in Edu group has just hit 7,200 7, members globally. And it's not about technology, but it is about pedagogy and well-being uh, and evidence-based approaches. So you're welcome to um, share that out and people might like to join that group and continue the conversation, but also contribute to it. Yeah, and I know, I mean, just to speak, I'm, I'm in that group. And it, what's amazing is not just the name of the group, but like people live by the motto of what the group's about too. I mean, the amount of support and, and the sharing and then just the troubleshooting. I mean, it, it, it's a very lively, active group, um, you know, and so if you're looking again to find other people who are trying to work through these things and have good ideas and good resources and just a good place to ask questions, um, you know, it's, it is phenomenal. I've, 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 ask many questions in there to try to get insights for my own own learning as well as for others. And it is a, it is a wonderful group. And so Mark, 
I can't thank you enough for, for taking time to speak with us. More importantly, for all the work that you do, um, the messages, the research, and the, just all the things that you've got going on, it, it really fits cohesively to, you know, what really matters. And it's, it's, it's taking care of ourselves, taking care of others. And if we can do that and, and, and learn how to kind of regulate our emotions, understand where we're coming from and, you know, identify it and all those things, then the academic learning can really strengthen. And I think so much of the time, as to no fault of anyone, the pressure is to academic content so quickly, mm. we lose sight of how important taking care of ourselves or others, our, our, our social emotional state. And if we don't build into that, that academic learning is never going to reach where we want it to, you know? And so they're, they, they, for a lot of us, there's two parallel paths, but it can't be like we do this and then this and then this, like they've got to yeah. run together. And if we do that and really invest the time, especially when it feels like we don't have enough time, mm -hmm. the, the payoffs are going to be huge, not just for the learning, but for just better humans and citizens in the world, you know, to continue to make the proper changes. Um, that, that, that we all need, you know, as, as the world continues to give us new opportunities to figure out what is best for, you know, for everyone. So I can't hmm. thank you enough for all that you do. Hey, Nana, that's my pleasure. And I'm, I was glad that you said that. The aim of the game is to, you know, how do we produce first-class humans, not second-class robots, mm. you know, and, and how do we use technology to humanise learning to make sure young people are seen, are heard and know that they matter, which these days, given the current context, is the most significant thing. This is why kids are stressed because they feel they're not heard, they're not seen, and they have no control over their lives. So to be seen, to be heard, to matter and have some choice is one of the, the challenges for all of us as educators in our instructional design and also how we invite emotion um, into the learning environment. So thanks very much for the time to, to chat. I'll send through some links to you, our social and emotional learning resource page um, and links to some of the research and uh, just ask that you share those out with people. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much, Mark, for all your time.